Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Pastor Jared. I'm part of the teaching team here at Alpine Church. It is great to be with you. Happy Palm Sunday. We're going to get to that. And this is the week that changed the world. And Pastor John just kind of talked about it. We're looking at Jesus' earthly mission here and as he went through Palm Sunday, which is uh, seven days before Easter Sunday when he entered into the city of Jerusalem to really start his approach of when he went to die on the cross. And here's a great picture of what that looks like. Jesus' earthly mission, Palm Sunday. Then Good Friday is when Jesus went and died on the cross for your sins and for my sins so that we could be redeemed. It's all about him. It's Jesus plus nothing. Jesus made it possible for us to be reconciled back to God by what Jesus did. We're going to celebrate that on Good Friday, this Friday night. I encourage you to come here at 7 p.m. And then he didn't, also, didn't just only conquer our sin, he also conquered death. And that's what we're going to celebrate on Easter Sunday, that he was resurrected. And the same goes for us when we experience a physical death here on earth. We're also resurrected. So there's this eternal picture that the here and now is not what God just has for us in store, like this is important, this relationship of being a part of, of this world. But there's a time when we're going to leave this world, and that's why God brought us here for this eternal perspective of spending eternity with him. And that we, when we pass away here, we are also resurrected like Jesus was in a way that we spend eternity with God, where he will be our God and we will be his people. And that's what we're going to be celebrating but today we're going to be focusing on Palm Sunday, Jesus' triumphal entry into the city of Jerusalem. And here's what we're going to look like. We're going to look at these three camps at the triumphal entry, these three people groups that really we're going to draw out in today's story as he enters into the city of Jerusalem. And so the question for you guys is, do you see yourself in one of these camps? So keep that in mind as we go through these three camps Here's the first one. Some see Jesus as a threat and reject him no matter what the evidence says. Now, hopefully you don't see yourself in this camp. But the truth is, in this world, there are many people that do find themselves in this camp. And that just is a reminder, and we see this in John chapter 12. So let me just go back to John chapter 11 real quick. Many of you know this famous story truth and, and reality of how Jesus raised his friend Lazarus from the dead. Mary and Martha send Jesus a message as Jesus is out doing ministry, says, come, your friend Lazarus is very sick. But Jesus doesn't just drop everything. He knows what he's going to do through this, through this miracle. He takes a few days to get there. By the time he gets to Lazarus, he has been dead for four days. And he takes this moment and he sees the family grieving, the sisters of Mary and Martha, and he, he, he's isolated with Martha, and she's grieving, and she's crying, and she's all, if you only could have come here sooner. And Jesus takes this opportunity to say, Martha, do you know when you die that if you believe in me, no one truly ever dies? And she goes, no, I know who you are, Jesus. You are the Messiah. You are the Son of God. I do believe this. And he goes, great, take me to him. So they go to this tomb where Lazarus is. Jesus says, Lazarus, come out. After being dead four days, God in the flesh, Jesus, has the power to raise this man from death to life, and he walks out. And word started to getting around. 
where Lazarus and his family lived was just kind of on the, on the outskirts of Jerusalem, kind of the suburbs. And people heard about this miracle, and they started rushing to see this amazing miracle. And that's where we pick up the story now in John 12, verses 9 through 11. It says, when all the people heard of Jesus' arrival, they flocked to see him and also to see Lazarus, the man Jesus had raised from the dead. Then the leading priest decided to kill Lazarus too. For it was because of him that many people that many of the people had deserted them and believed in Jesus. So there's a lot of buzz around Jesus at this time. They heard about this miracle. They rushed out to see him. They were able to see this with their own eyes. They saw this man who once was dead is now walking amongst them, talking. He's alive. But there's another people group here that had the same opportunity to see this miracle to see Lazarus, who once was dead, now is alive. And look at their response. It says, then the leading priest decided to kill Lazarus too. You got people excited to rush out. One part of this story is people are excited to rush out and see Jesus and to see Lazarus. And then there's another people group here, the leading priests who want to kill Lazarus too. You see, they've already decided to kill Jesus. They are already plotting to kill Jesus. And now they want to kill Lazarus too. It's important to understand, they are not saying that this miracle did not happen. As a matter of fact, the leading priests are acknowledging the miracle did happen. And that's the reason why they wanted to kill Jesus and Lazarus. They acknowledge that Jesus raised him from the dead. This did happen. And there's, there's this one set of people that they were able to see it, to believe it, and they responded to Jesus. And then we see this other group in this, the leading priests, who also saw it but chose to deny it. Even though there's evidence that it happened, they chose to ignore it and deny it. Why? Right here at the end. For it was because of him that many of the people had deserted them and believed in Jesus. The leading priests had pride. They didn't humble themselves, recognizing Jesus as God, that he was the only person that could do a miracle like this. They said, we like to be empowered. The leading priests loved when people came to them. They had influence over people. They loved it when people came to them and they could give direction on how and what to do and how to live their lives. But we have these extreme opposites in this story. And some people, even with science and the truth and seeing it with their own eyes, are still going to reject Jesus. We have the truth of how and the details of Jesus' life and the miracles he performed, and the truth about how this book says, yes, the Trinity, and we did a great series about that, that the Son of God was fully God. He was fully God in the flesh. But there's so many people that deny that, regardless of the truth, regardless of the evidence, regardless if he did these miracles. And maybe you know somebody like this, that you've crossed paths with somebody that's just kind of closed off. 
And they're really not interested in hearing about Jesus. Our world is filled with people that do not want to acknowledge Jesus. The more populated the earth gets, the more people reject Jesus. Now, hopefully, also, more people come to know him as well. But if you've ever had this scenario where you've had somebody and they really are not interested in hearing about Jesus, our job is to still witness. Our job is to love on them, to speak truth and love when it's appropriate, not to cram God down their throat. We see that Jesus did not run after the leading priest, meaning going after them and saying, hey, you guys have it all wrong. They wanted nothing to do with Jesus. But Jesus offered them the same gift he offers you and I. He offers it to everybody. He offers his truth about himself. But many people are going to reject it. Even in Luke, it says that. Many people are going to reject the gospel. But our job is still to do our job, which is to witness. And for for people that find themselves in this camp, the only hope is through the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit, because that's who changes hearts. I remember when I was in the camp of unbelievers, and I had people witnessing to me, but they couldn't change my heart. Only God could change my heart, and only God can change hearts. And that's our hope, that we do our part, that we remain faithful in God, and if if they come to a place where they're going to receive God's gift of salvation, it's going to be through the work of the Holy Spirit, working on that hardened, stubborn heart. And that's God's role. So often when we're witnessing, we want to try to do our part and God's part, but we can't do God's part. Only God can change hearts. So that's the first camp. Here's the second camp. Some see Jesus as Lord and obey him even when they don't have the full picture. And here's what we see in Luke 19, verses 29 through 31. We see this. It says, as he came to the towns of Bethpage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples ahead. Go into that village over there, he told them. As you enter it, you will see a young donkey tied there that no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks, why are you untying that colt? Just say, the Lord needs it. Now, there's not a whole lot of documentary that goes into a lot of detail about the two disciples or any text supporting whether they had questions about any of this. I mean, it's a little bit bizarre to me as as we look at this passage. I mean, I would have had all kinds of questions. Now, when I grew up, I was so scared I couldn't even go to the McDonald's counter and ask for ketchup. Like, that's, that's the camp I fall into. And I'll I'll get here in a minute how even God led me into ministry. I do not enjoy getting up in front of people speaking. It's not about me. I don't like the lights on me. I'd rather be in the back row with you guys in the back row. That's where I would, that's my comfort zone. But I would have had so many questions like, okay, just any tied up donkey? The first one? I was like, what if, yeah, if you asked, you told me what to say, Lord, but are we bringing it back? Like, like are, we, are we buying it? No, you didn't give me any money. Like, what, what are the details here? But there is no text to support it. And rather than going in and, and trying to say, well, maybe they were confused and maybe they had questions, that's all possible. But focusing on what we do know, Jesus told them to do this, and they did it. And this is what I love about the four Gospels, that they support each other. In Matthew and Mark, They do get asked when they're untying the colt, 
when the two disciples find the colt and they start untying it, they ask, why are you untying that colt? And they replied, just as Jesus told them, because the Lord needs it. And that's it. They didn't say, hmm, are you going to bring it back? Are we doing any kind of trade here? Like, you know, dances with wolf, good, good trade. <laughs> no, they just obeyed what Jesus told them to do. I can remember, it's, it's, it's going on 18 years when I was living in California, and I was really involved in my church, and I got to experience a, a little bit of this, of what's going on in this passage, and it just, just brought me back to that day where I was praying for my family, and at this time, I'm getting more involved in the church that we were a part of, and I was kind of co-leading a small group with some friends, and I'm just in the morning praying, and all of a sudden, God starts speaking to me. Now, let me, let me explain here. It wasn't an audible voice. But as I'm praying, it just he put it on my mind, Jared, I'm doing something with you in ministry, and you have to leave. And I was like, mm, wow, what? So I wrestled with this for weeks, and every time I would pray, he would impress this on my mind, and I get to the point, I get to the point saying, God, you have the wrong guy. I don't want to go into ministry. Nope, this is, you got the wrong guy. Not interested. No, thanks. He wouldn't let up. I've never experienced anything in my life like this. And I finally surrender. I said, okay, God, I don't know what you're doing. I can't see the full picture. Probably like these disciples. They don't know why they're going to get in this cult. They can't see the big picture. But God just gave them one step at a time. Go look and find the cult. If anyone asks, tell them this. And he was doing the same thing for me. He said, there's something ministry related and you have to leave. And I said, okay. Just like what Pastor John said in the welcome, you lead, I'll follow. But you have to take care of all the details. I said that over and over. I go to my wife, Paula, would you consider leaving California? Absolutely not. She laughed in my face. <laughs> little help here. Fast forward several months, we're canvassing, we were self-employed and we're doing window coverings getting our information into new homes and all this, and we run into a competitor, and right then and there, my wife says, if you're ready to leave, let's go. I'm done. I said, okay, God, wow, you took care of that detail. Where am I going? I don't know where I'm going. Several months after that, friends come over. I said, hey, we know you're thinking about leaving California. We are too. James has a job opportunity in Salt Lake City in Utah. What do you think about Utah? And see, I had been to Utah because my friend bought a house in Boise. I did his shutters. I was coming home on I-15 in a blizzard. I got so nervous, I had to get off the freeway. I said, the next exit, I'm getting off. You may have heard of the street. It's Hillfield Road. There's a little hotel on the left-hand side. I said, I got to get there, and I need to get my two-wheel drive truck out of the snow. It's very important when you live in Utah that you check the weather. In California, you don't check weather when you travel. You just don't need to. I was lying in that, I think it's a comfort inn. I was like, God, is this where you want me? Nothing. But I asked that question, and then a couple months later, the friends come over, and they said, we're, we're thinking about moving to Utah. Would you join us? <laughs> okay, I guess that's where I'm going, God. Still not a clear yes. I was scared, guys. Loaded up all three kids, the dog, threw it in the, in the RV. We threw, sold most of our stuff, brought everything else with us, moved to Utah. 
But here's what I learned. God took care of every step. I said, God, you take care of all the details. Seldom does God give us this map with clarity. Here it is, from start to finish. Here you go, Jared. And the reason he doesn't do that is because, now, Jared, you're going to need me on every step, but you have all the instructions, you have all the pathway of knowing where you're going. Now, he knew I was going to need him on every step. When my wife said, okay, let's go, it got real. I was like, okay, God, I'm going to put my faith in you. I'm going to trust in you. I need to trust in you. Where? Okay, God, I think I'm supposed to go to Utah. I'm going to trust in you. And then at some point, it took four complete years of God unveiling the complete picture. And I, I just think that so many people, you know, we're, we want answers, we want to know, and we want them now. And God says, I don't work that way. I'm in a, I want to be in a relationship with you. I want to hold your hand, Jared. I want to hold your hand as I'm leading you to where I have plans for you. And he's doing the same thing with the disciples here. He's just leading them. Because he's got a bigger picture here. And in Zechariah, there's prophecies sharing about this bigger picture. In Zechariah 9.9, it says this, Rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout in triumph. O people of Jerusalem, look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, yet he is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. See, Jesus knows that he's about to enter the city of Jerusalem, and he knows what's going to be happening here, and he knows what's ahead of him, and he sends his two disciples, go get a colt. He doesn't give them all the instructions of why or the reasons of what's going to happen. But in Zechariah, we see the full picture here. And so many times for us, we want to have that full picture even before we start taking steps forward with the Lord. But what he wants to do is he wants to come grab our hands. I'm going to walk with you. Let's do this together. That leads us to our third point, our third camp. Some see their own version of Jesus and desert him when he fails to meet their expectations. So now we're going to see his grand entry into the city of Jerusalem. Matthew 21, verse 8 and 9, it says, Most of the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of them, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Jesus was in the center of the procession, and the people all around him were shouting, Praise God for the Son of David. Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Praise God in his highest heaven. Think back to Jesus' birth in the anticipation, just quickly, of his coming into this world. People have been waiting thousands of years. And now, his ministry is about to come to, a, to an end for his first part in chapter one of his earthly mission, because there's a second part. And just while we're on this first part, it happened just as it did. That's why we can trust God's word is his second part when he comes and puts an end to this broken world. It's going to happen just as it's written in scripture as well. But here he is. He's entering into the city of Jerusalem, and the people are starting to connect the dots. They would have understood Zechariah's prophecy. They would have heard that. They would have known that. 
And here he's, they're shouting, they're cutting down palm branches, laying them at the road. They're also waving them in the crowds. That's why it's called Palm Sunday. And this anticipation of their Messiah, which means the anointed king, he's coming. Now they had a confusion, a little misunderstanding of what he was going to accomplish but just think of that anticipation. You can see this excitement. You can see people lifting up their voices, praising him. Jesus is here. He's going to bring us back to the glory days of King David. That's what they thought, that he was going to come and overthrow the Roman rule. And no longer would they be under the oppression of the, of the Romans. Even though they've had it worse in generations back, meaning the Romans allowed them to have religion and a few things, but they still were oppressed by Roman rulers. And they wanted to be freed of that. And they looked to Jesus to free from them from that. But that's not what Jesus planned. It had nothing to do with politics. It had everything to do with humanity. And so a few days passed. So this is, this is the, the, the week before Easter and five days before Good Friday. And I can just imagine the anticipation. When is, when is our king going to conquer Rome? When, when is this going to happen? And day after day passes and it gets to Friday where they arrest him. And now they see their king in shackles chained up. Being arrested, about to be sentenced. I can just imagine the doubt that was starting to come in. This does not make sense. He was supposed to overthrow them, not to be in bondage to them. What is going on? And we can see the hearts of the people started to change. Here's what it says in Matthew 27, verse 22. What should I do with this Jesus who is called Messiah? This is Pontius Pilate. What should I do with him? Look at the crowd's response now. The crowd shouted back, crucify him. Five days earlier, they are praising, praise God in the highest heaven. Our anointed king is here, praise Jesus. And now he's been arrested, and now Pontius Pilate is saying, look, what do you want me to do with this? This guy is innocent, and it was a tradition during the Passover to set a captive free. And Pontius Pilate actually says, you should set Jesus free. You should set Jesus free because he's innocent. And the crowd says, no. The crowd that was cheering his arrival is now saying, no, free Barabbas. Set him free, but crucify Jesus there's no place in the text that you read through these scriptures that anyone said, wait, 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 wait. Maybe we have it wrong. You won't find it. But you will find crucify him. So often we want God to meet our expectations. They had expectations of what Jesus was going to do. And how he was going to bring victory to them. But from their perspective, he didn't meet those expectations, so they deserted him. 
They weren't singing praises to him any longer. They were shouting, crucify him. Now, little did they know that was God's plan for redemption, to be wrongfully accused and to go to the cross and die for you and for me. And that's how we're forgiven of our sins. And that's how Jesus had always planned it. In Romans it says, a death had to account for the sins of the world and there was only one death that it could account, the perfect sacrifice, the perfect lamb. And that perfect lamb is Jesus. And people there just did not understand that they wanted this political overthrow. They had it wrong. But Jesus didn't come for a political reason. He came for all humanity, including the Romans, so that they could be saved, so that they can be raised from death to life by receiving the gift of salvation of what Jesus did on the cross. That's the gift Jesus brought us as himself. What an amazing love story, and you're at the center of it. My hope is that everyone here, everyone here would come to a place where they would respond, just like we looked at earlier, that he is God. He healed Lazarus, and people were responding to that. But don't desert him when your expectations aren't met, because God knows much more than us. And sometimes we say, well, God, if you do this, then I'll be happy, then I'll be okay, then I will follow you. That's not how it works. We follow the all-knowing God because he knows best. And he didn't come to have this political overthrow. He came. Jesus is the one who conquered sin and death to establish his rule in our hearts. This is a personal relationship that you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. He is ruling in your heart. It's incredible that God loves us that much. My hope is if you're here that you would make that response. And if you're here and you're like, I've already made that response, amen. Grab some invite cards. Pray about it. Let's be witnesses as, we, as we're being invitational about celebrating this weekend. This little card right here with the egg hunt on the back, front has Easter services, can change someone's life. Just by loving someone enough to say, hey, would you join us next week? If you have time, come check it out. Grab some of these on the way out if you haven't already. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we give you praise. And we, we come here today and, and we worship you, Jesus. We celebrate you. We lift you up high. We're so grateful that you didn't turn your back against us, Lord but you made it possible by giving your life that you took the punishment that we deserved, that your body was beaten, your blood was shed, so that in return we could be restored, we could be redeemed. Thank you, Jesus. And my hope and prayer is everyone in this room would have come to that decision of understanding that they're not perfect. And the churchy word is that is sin, that they have a sin problem, Lord. But you love them enough. You loved me enough to come to this world and to give your life. That we can't add to any of that. We don't deserve it. 
What we deserve is death because of our sin, but you took that upon you, Lord. The death that we deserved. I'm just hopeful that they understand those details and that they respond. They respond with a, with a heart that says, yes, I want to be in a relationship with this personal Savior that walks by my side, that takes my hand and helps me through life. Lord, I pray that they would experience that, that they would experience your gift of salvation, Lord. And I do lift up this coming weekend, Lord, that we would be invitational, that this would be an opportunity for you through what you did to really reach people, to draw them to you, and to have many more people respond just as people flocked out to the suburbs, Lord, to, to Lazarus, to see it for themselves. And people responded by turning to Jesus, Lord. And I pray that we would have these truthful and just this understanding that you are Lord. It's your way, Lord. And that way is through you. You say, I am the truth and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. Thank you, Jesus. I pray that this would be just an amazing year here at Alpine Church, Lord, and through our world this Easter, especially with everything that we've faced in the last several years, Lord, that you would be at work drawing people to you and people would come to know you, Lord. We love you, we thank you, and we worship you. And we praise you, Jesus. And it's your holy name we pray. Amen.